Welcome to the Silky Mitten State. I am your host, Sam Stockton. I am joined, as ever, by my good friend and co-host, Connor Eargood. And this is a, a special edition of the Silky Mitten State, not just because we took last week off, but also because we have, you know, some personnel news to announce, like any good team this time of year, THN Detroit was looking to, you know, add a little extra depth heading into the stretch run. We gave Phil Kessel a call. He was busy. He didn't want what we were able to offer him. The compensation not, not package wasn't quite there yet. Okay. Saying the quiet part out loud there, Connor. So instead, <laughs> we've settled on a different acquisition from the college ranks. And Connor Eargood, our, again, good friend and co-host, has signed on to start writing for THN Detroit, which is very exciting. Connor, we are thrilled to have you. How are you doing today on this lovely pretty, afternoon in Michigan as well? Beautiful weather. Yeah, today. pretty good. Um, yeah, living living the college life still, uh, doing some, some some more adult work with uh, the THN site, which is exciting. I, do I don't think that practice. they would appreciate you calling it adult work. <laughs> you know what i mean like it's not it's not a student newspaper you okay get, good, you good, get good. my drift yep yep but, good uh, clarification yeah i'll clarify that but no i'm i'm really excited um a few articles out already uh if you like reading about prospects if you like reading about who could be on the olympic team um got a few few articles out and we'll have one on uh the the duel in the deed and night as well as uh philaronic so stay tuned for those awesome Look yeah. at me plugging content already. Yeah, and plugging your own content too, not Max's or, or somebody else's. <laughs> we're we're focused. We're we're on message here as we return from our hiatus. Awesome. Um, so on the subject of the break, of course, the initial impetus for the break was the All-Star game, um, in which the Red Wings were represented by Alex Debrinkit. He scored three goals, had three assists, scored a shootout goal, probably should have been MVP, but of course there's the kind of implicit, it only goes to home team guys, uh, so it went to Austin Matthews instead of him. But before we get there, Connor, I wanted to get your perspective on the skills challenge a little bit, because obviously the league changed up the format this year. Instead of having different people compete in each event, they kind of did like a decathlon style thing where everybody who participated participated in just about everything. Um, I was actually at the skills challenge in Florida last year. And having done that, I can really attest to how terrible and stale it had gotten prior to this format. I was, you know, visiting a friend down in Florida. We had another friend flying in and I was the one who was like, no, we should definitely go to the skills challenge. Like those two guys were sort of down on it. And I was like, no, it's always cool. Like they do some fun stuff, even if it doesn't all totally translate to being a fun television product. And then it was terrible. And I was 100 percent on the hook for that. So I really had to wear that last year. Uh, but I think the general consensus was that this year's version of it was a lot better. Connor, what was your take on things? Yeah, I agree with that. Um, other than the Nikita Kucherov sort of, uh, <laughs> you know, last day of classing it, um, did not care at all. Uh, I, I really like the format. And I, I do like being able to see not only players like strong suits. Like, it gets old to see Zdeno Chara, for example ripping like 110 mile per hour slap shots. I don't think he ever reached 110, but you get my drift. Like it gets old seeing McDavid win every fastest skater competition without like doing anything else. You know, it, it, it's good to see sort of the, the versatility of, of everyone's skills. Um, yeah, it was, it was really exciting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Maybe a little bit fishy that McDavid was evidently involved in the well, redesign process and he ends up winning it, but also it sort of makes sense that the guy who everyone agrees is the best player would, would come out on top of this. Yeah, you ever you ever see the meme of like Obama putting the Medal of Honor on himself? 
<laughs> no, I, I don't think that, that I have. On, I was seeing that on Twitter a lot about McDavid, but I thought that was cheeky. Yeah, I like that. It, I wanted to get to the Kucherov thing. I sort of feel as though it definitely doesn't detract from the event. And if anything, it kind of makes it better to have a little bit of a heel involved. Mm-hmm. And and Kucherov, I feel like, has, has generally cultivated that sort of personality away from the rink. I'm thinking of the the shirt he wore that said 17 million over the cap or whatever it was after they won the second cup and people were really mad about the whole LTIR situation. So I appreciate someone who first and foremost, like isn't worried at all about his public perception, but also is kind of steering into being a little bit of a villain. No, I, I like it. I like that he talks his smack. I think especially for a sport that doesn't have as many like strong personalities as, as other leagues. Um, and can be kind of stale at times if you've ever watched an intermission interview or or a post game. Like it's good to have someone that bucks the trend a little bit uh, and 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 is willing to to be a little bit of a as you said heel. You know, you obviously don't have to be like a goon about it. And, you know, be <laughs> be disruptive or anything like that. But he he's you know he kind of resisted it <laughs> by going so slow. Um, yeah, and I, I imagine too having to be in Toronto in the middle of of February or early February instead of Cancun or wherever he planned to go um, has to bug him. So I know there were a few, who, who was the Seattle representative? Uh, Oliver Bjorkstrand. Yeah. Bjorkstrand. When, when they had his meeting and announced the all-star yeah. game and he's like, Oh, <laughs> he had to cancel his Airbnb and all that. Like it, you know, it, it, it's an honor for players to be there. Right. But I can imagine it gets old when you're like Kucherov and you have to go every year and every year do the same thing and everyone's watching you like i don't know let him go on vacation if he wants but when he's there you know the the fact that he didn't try to hide any of his emotions i I appreciate yeah and i feel like it's especially tough when you're going from a warm weather weather city to a cold one like for debrinket going detroit to toronto it's like yeah you're still in winter but like you were in winter anyway versus if you're one of these guys who doesn't really have to deal with a winter in the first place and then you're being told like, hey man, you gotta take uh whatever late January, early February vacation yeah. to Toronto, that's gonna be a little bit of a tougher sell. Yeah, absolutely. And like, I mean, we were in, in Tampa during April and it was immaculate. It was it was Glorious. summer weather. Like yeah. it was it was amazing. I think I I sat by the pool for like two hours that one day and didn't mm-hmm. do anything because it was so warm. Like it was beautiful. I, mm-hmm. I can't imagine being a hockey player down there and like that's your you live there. You know, yeah. you play a cold weather sport and, and, and do all your traveling and stuff, but you live in, in luxury. Yeah. I don't know. I wouldn't want to give that up. No, certainly not. And I, I also feel like with Kucherov, it it was good that his apathy stood out, right? Like mm-hmm. if this were last year and he showed that level of apathy to the skills, you'd hardly be able to tell, right? Because hardly anyone was, you know, making moves and, and doing things that were interesting as far as the hockey side of it went, right? It all kind of devolved into this like costumey sideshow and a lot of events that weren't actually live anyway for mm-hmm. for the people in the arena versus this. It was like, oh, that we have 11 guys who clearly want the a million bucks that are on the line and one guy who's like, yeah. I could take it or leave it. And and you could tell exactly who that individual was. So I think that yeah. was probably a good sign. Yeah. And I think too, like the way that it's moving to the the four nations, um, and 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 that was introduced at the all-star game this this year, I believe, or during the the week. Um, the fact that it's going to like this international sort of competition during all-star week, I think is gonna be beneficial as well because it gives a sort of a reset. I know you you mentioned McDavid obviously helped redesign the <laughs> the all-star <laughs> game and everything, but 
this sort of gives like a, a bit of a breather from from how we've done all-star games for for however long um i i think it'll be good i think it'll make people appreciate it a little bit more and who doesn't like seeing international games with all the stars aligning playing for something bigger than themselves um i i, I think the four nations is as much as i'd rather see more nations involved in it um maybe go to eight or something like that i understand the time span doesn't really make that feasible um but as much as i'd like to see it expanded i do think the international play next year is going to be really really cool um a bit of a treat for everyone yeah, I definitely think there's something to that. I do wonder about, like, so this iteration of the All-Star Skills was revamped and re-energized in, in a cool event. I'll be, I feel like the bigger challenge, though, is doing that over and over, right? Mm -hmm. Of, like, so there's not going to be an All-Star game next year. I think they're sort of on the fence about whether to do it in 26 in association with the Olympics. It's like, maybe it could be a kind of send-off event, which has some legs maybe but if mm -hmm. you bring back this exact same format two years from now does it have the same energy and what about the year after that the year after that but i don't know ultimately these are somewhat frivolous events and you gotta hand it to the nhl they they did a pretty good job with this one um as far as the actual games go obviously like i mentioned to was a, a star for team matthews coached by justin bieber um putting up a bunch of points arguably getting robbed of the MVP, I, maybe I think it's fair to say not even arguably, like he just was robbed of the MVP, but mm. it's ultimately not something people really care about. Um, <laughs> the, the, and his son, Archie, also uh, maybe worth mentioning, he sort of stole the show, came along with for all of that ride as his wife was getting ready to give birth to the couple's second child, which I believe happened on Monday of this week, um, somewhere along those lines. So congratulations to the director on that. Yeah, um, Connor, is is there any part of you that mustered any sort of outrage over Dabrinkit not winning MVP, or did you watch any of the All-Star game? I will confess I, that I did not watch a second of it live. I, I watched a little bit of the clips on Twitter and Instagram, especially the Kucherov ones, because obviously those were circulating, mm -hmm. and then all, all the memes, I did not watch it live. Um, it, it was cool to see in the clips of everyone's energy, but uh, yeah, I I don't know. I always love seeing when people bring their kids along, like uh, Getzlaff did that way back i believe that was mm -hmm. really cool brent burns always has his kids there like it, it just makes it like a fun atmosphere i feel like um i don't know it, it was cool to see mm -hmm. yeah i forget which way it was but i feel like there was a year when burns and joe pavelski both went for the sharks and one of their children was wearing the jersey of the other they were like yeah whatever my dad he's just okay but <laughs> you know joe <laughs> I pavelski I, do you know what I'm like 2017 about? or something that sounds it was like right, right during their little cup era. Yeah, or like right. when they, when they were very the good. Yeah, they yeah. Sent multiple people to the All Star game, which I can't imagine they did this year. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Cool. All right. So no, <laughs> you don't have to pile. You don't have to pile on San Jose more than they already have themselves, man. No, no. <laughs> I I don't mean to to punch down in that regard. All right. Um, well, you already sort of alluded to it, but our, our next big subject was uh, a development that was announced uh, at Gary Bettman's uh, media availability over the All-Star break in conjunction with IIHF President Luke Tardif. That is that the NHL will be hosting, I guess you could say, or putting on what they're referring to as the Four Nations Face-Off in 2025. That'll happen in lieu of the All-Star break uh, and will feature the U.S., Canada, Finland and Sweden and then in 2026 the NHL will be going back to the Olympics in Milan and northern Italy um 
So that'll be the first time the NHL has participated in uh, Olympic hockey since 2014 in Sochi. Um, obviously exciting, I think, on its face. And maybe we can go kind of one event at a time here. Mm -hmm. So to start with the extremely creatively named Four Nations Faceoff, Connor, what was your reaction <laughs> to that? What are you looking forward to? Where are you maybe disappointed with with the event as it's been described to us so far? I'll start with the disappointment. I wish there were more teams. Yeah, I wish we had other countries or even like a team North America, Europe vibe. You know what I mean? Like get other players involved because some of the best players in the world aren't going to be able to take part in this. And some of the biggest stars in the game, if, if you think of a guy like David Pasternak, he's not going to be able to play for, for uh, Chechia anymore. And like uh, Mo Sider, Leon Dreisaitl aren't going to be able to play for Germany. Like those kinds of players, as much as it's a smaller country, as much as, you know, it, it doesn't have the pull that the, the four nations they chose have in, in the U.S., Canada, Sweden, and Finland. Like, the way you grow the game and grow a market and and, and show off that national pride is letting those smaller countries play. Um, and, I mean, we just saw Germany in World Juniors was was kind of giving it to Canada. Like, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're clearly a decent enough country to, to take part in this. I do have a feeling that time span is probably a reason why they limited it to four. You can't really do a big round robin or, or do any like sort of face off format or anything like that. Um, if you have a high number of teams without taking a couple of weeks. Um, and we've obviously seen that with world juniors that it takes so long, it takes two or three weeks. Um, so I, I'm sure that played into the calculus and also wear and tear as well. I'm sure players don't want to play a bunch of games, but when it comes to, sort of playing for your country. I'm sure this is going to excite a lot of players. It's going to make them really, really proud to put on a national jersey. Uh, and it's also a really good test for the Olympics to see people um, from the NHL playing in these international games again when it's not the, you know, I IIHF men's worlds when half of the really good players are in a playoff run. Like, this is truly best done best. This is going to be uh, sort of a <laughs> an early preview of what the Olympic rosters could look like. Um, and it's going to be really good for for all four of those countries to, sort of scout out who they want to invite since the, the NHL players haven't been able to play in an Olympics in 10 years. Yeah, I think that last point is a really interesting one because I, I find myself comparing this to international soccer, right? And those mm -hmm. teams, it's structured much differently so that you have these international breaks built into the season and the teams are constantly reuniting with one another and getting a chance to like, hey, what if we tried this guy in this spot or gave this guy an opportunity to play for the national team? And I know there's a lot of people who think that there's kind of too much strain put on the players because of how intensive the scheduling is. And like, do we really need all of these friendlies or these kind of contrived tournaments that come along the way? And I definitely think there's something to that. Uh, but it, it's definitely interesting to me that we're going to have gone so long without seeing any sort of meaningful continuity, right? We had the Olympics in 14 and then the um, World Cup of Hockey in 16, but because of the uh, having Team North America at that event and Team Europe at that event, that even wasn't mm -hmm. like a true best-on-best best kind of deal, or right. at least there were complications to that. So it, it's interesting that it will have been so long since we've seen these countries put together legit best on best teams. Since, like you said, you aren't getting that at men's worlds when a lot of guys are still in the playoffs or just like, eh, whatever, my year's done for here. I, I don't need that as part of my experience. So, yeah, um, I'm curious to see how that's going to go. But I'm also 100 percent with you on being disappointed in the number of countries that they've allowed to participate in this event. Um, you you mentioned guys like uh, Drysital and Cider and Pasternak as obvious omissions from this tournament, and then you know you're also not going to have 
Team Russia there for right. I think, fairly obvious reasons, but that's still like uh, we were talking about Kucherov earlier. He's, if not the favorite for the heart, he's certainly got to be in that conversation this year, and you're not going to have him at the event. So then to also not have Pasternak and to not have Drysidle and yeah. to not have Cider, I think it just sort of compounds and and diminishes it a little bit. The fact that you have the kind of rivalry angle with U.S. Canada and and Finland, Sweden, and and nations that historically don't <laughs> like each other very much when it comes to international hockey, I think that's some fun spice to throw on. But yeah, it, it I think it does ultimately leave me feeling a little bit unsatisfied with just having four teams when it's been so long since we've had anything. Yeah, and I I do think it's a good move to have the tournament itself because the NHL is going to get so much back from this. If it's an NHL run event, they're going to get the the marketing rights. They're going to get the broadcasting rights. They're going to make a lot of money off of this. And Mm -hmm. I guarantee that was part of their issue with the Olympics is they're going to have to interrupt their season, pause everything. Ratings are going to go down, obviously, because they're not going to make any money off of of game coverage, right? Maybe they have the broadcasting rights or something for for the olympic hockey maybe they can syndicate it on nhl network i don't know um but either way they were going to lose a lot of money money off of that so this gives them an opportunity to sort of make some of that back right in an event that they're running um that i guarantee was part of the <laughs> the decision making process of course how can how can we profit off of this if you're the nhl um but it i do think it is a pretty good compromise um to to see that if that was part of the sort of calculations between the the IIH, IIHF, IOC, and the NHL and NHLPA. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and having something is obviously better than having no best-on-best best hockey. But right, yeah. as you were alluding to, I think it's hard not to read some of the like, okay, we're just going to have four teams, the kind of four biggest teams that are available to us, mm-hmm. uh, and try as best as we can to you know really hammer this USA Canada rivalry it comes from a kind of television's rating perspective when yeah. i think if you're someone who like enjoys uh, as you know like watching world juniors and sitting down during the group stage and watching hockey all day long and getting the texture of like you mentioned teams like a germany that you know can't really make a deep run but can it's fun to get to see some of those players and get to see them. Oh, Hey, they've got Canada on the ropes late in a game. Like even Mm -hmm. if that ends up in no points in the round Robin standings and it goes nowhere from there, those are fun games to watch, I think, and and just add a little extra intrigue Mm -hmm. to an event like this. So it's a shame that we're not going to get that at all. Yeah. And it's how other countries develop too. You, you get incrementally closer to, you know, the next guy up basically. Um, And that's, that's how you sort of climb a ladder, right? You go one step at a time. Uh, so by denying those countries those steps, um, it, it, it kind of puts them at a disadvantage that I think might even show up in in the Olympics because you got to think this is this is a trial run. You get to see Team USA. They get to work out some of those kinks. They get to see what they struggle with, and then they're going to go to the Olympics with that experience. I'm sure there might be friendlies and stuff like that scheduled like preseason, so to speak, um, before the Olympics. And and with the men's worlds, it's going to take on increased significance these next couple of years. But uh, at the same time. Like it, it is just another test run that those four nations are really going to benefit from, in, in my opinion, um, mm-hmm. and, and gain some really good uh, data. And that's something Bill Guerin talked about yesterday um, at his introductory press conference for for USA Hockey. He's going to be the GM of both the four nations team and the U.S. Uh, Olympic team. And, and he even mentioned, like, because there haven't been NHL players in 10 years, like they're pulling data from everywhere. Any bit of scouting they can get, they're going to use to make the roster because they want to win gold. Um, and, and obviously we can talk about USA hockey and its development for hours. Um, so I won't go too much into that, but I, I, I just think it is sort of a, a disadvantage for those countries to not have that data point. 
Mm-hmm. Did Garen address specifically the idea of the fourteen face-off thing as a kind of trial run for what they're going to do in the Olympics? He did um, to some degree. It wasn't like a he didn't say it himself, but he addressed a, a question about it. Uh, I'm trying to remember his exact response, but I, I believe it was just like it's another sort of area to draw data. Um, mm-hmm. That that seemed to be his theme throughout his answers about four nations. Um, obviously, they want to win it. Obviously, they want to get their their medal. Um, or whatever whatever trophy comes out of it uh, i don't even know if it'll be a medal uh but at the same time uh they're they're gonna need data points to to build a, a really good roster because they haven't had everyone together you know they, mm-hmm. they've been dealing with skeleton crews in the the men's worlds and a lot of college guys but now they can really really let the roster run and and, and build something cool so mm-hmm. yeah it would be interesting if they went with gold silver and bronze medals in a four-team event that would really yeah. <laughs> highlight whoever finished fourth as having come up with nothing <laughs> no there. medal for you yeah yeah um to pivot a little bit into the olympic side of it specifically um i we talked to dylan larkin about this this morning um asking him about it and he mentioned like of, of course the olympics are sort of an ultimate dream i think for a hockey player in a way that any kind of world cup or mm-hmm. contrived tournament like the four nations. And I don't even necessarily mean that as an insult, but just that, like when you're pulling that out of full cloth, the way that they are, it's not going to have the same cachet as something like the Olympics, which is obviously an, an event people have fixated on for a long time. And Larkin sort of joked about like growing up watching miracle so often that mm-hmm. his mom could recite every single line. Cause he and his brother were watching it 24 seven. Um, awesome. And I do think there's, there's something in the idea that like, we've reached a point as USA hockey that the movie miracle is now the touchstone for us mm-hmm. rather than the actual gold medal, which is a good indicator that like, it's time to start winning some more stuff yeah. as Americans at the senior men's level. But um, obviously super like you can, you could hear in his voice. And of course he hasn't officially made that team or anything like yet. And there's been some projections that have him not in there. I think it's hard to picture him not being on that roster as a guy with his offensive upside who can also be a PK checking type yeah. role at an international event. Uh, but yeah. Yeah. I, I wrote in my, my projection article yesterday. I think there's, there's not really a world where Larkin doesn't make it just because of his ability to be a PK guy and, and skate so fast. There are very few players that not only have his sort of North South quickness, but have his ability to cut and, and be agile out there. Um, he's just a brilliant skater. And those are kind of the, the, the hard skills that, the players are going to need at that level, right? When you have an embarrassment of riches and you can choose and and really sort of kind of not even cut chaff, but like cut really, really good players off, mm-hmm. off the roster. Like it's those sort of skills that are going to make a difference um, and, and and help guys stand out. And he's also a, a pretty selfless leader from from everything I've seen from afar. Granted, I'm not in the locker room uh, and, and I don't see all his interactions, but uh, just from from how he's presented himself publicly, um, seems like the kind of guy that you would want wearing a maybe even a letter at this event. And I, I talked mm-hmm. about that in the article as well, how he could stack up to that. Um, yeah, I think you could definitely see that with like a lot of the the talent that you mm-hmm. that American fans are excited about. It's quite young talent. So yeah. Larkin would potentially stack up as like a more veteran guy in that mm-hmm. group, depending on exactly how some of those final roster yeah. decisions shake out. Mm-hmm. And and to touch to you on the, the whole medal issue, like I in the research for that article, I was shocked. I was looking back at, at the Olympic gold medals and I'm like, oh, when's USA's left? Oh, oh, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's 1980. Mm-hmm. Double silvers couple bronzes last gold is 1980 yeah for what is that 24 44 years i, I was doing my math 
in my head and I said the 20. 44 years, no gold medals. It'll be 46 in 2026. That's crazy mm-hmm. to not be able to, to muster anything. Um, and, and granted, I know that when you have a, a stacked program like Russia and, and Sweden had a few runs there and Canada is always Canada, like you're going to run into struggles. Uh, but at, at the same time, like USA hockey has so much talent. And, and I, I really think these past couple Olympics where it was college players, if there were NHL players at those Olympics, I think USA would have had a shot um, at, at some of those goals, especially in like, I feel like the, the uh, most recent what was it? 2022. Um, when, when a lot of the Michigan guys went out there, I feel like that, that team, if it had some of the NHL stars on it could have been really, really disgusting. Um, Cause you had guys like Quinn Hughes, Charlie McAvoy, who were really re- entering sort of a, not to say their prime or anything, they're not even there yet, but really coming into their own as, as uh, defenders. Uh, yeah. The, the depth of USA hockey is just in a spot it's never been in. Um, and I think that's, that's not even a, a that's a pretty easy assertion to make. I think that's factual that they haven't had this much talent, this much depth. Um, so it, I think this might be a year where they can push for gold. And certainly Bill Guerin talked about that. Um, I, I believe his his exact phrasing was something like, I don't see why we can't win a gold. I don't see why we we can't settle for anything less. Like, uh, I, I do think USA Hockey is going to have a lot of tough decisions to get there. But uh, this is a, a pretty advantageous spot for them to be in, given how much they've developed their players. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Long-winded and- tangent there, but. Yeah. And historically, it's felt as though the U.S. has never really had the depth down the middle to quite Mm -hmm. run with a team like Canada. And now you look at Austin Matthews, Jack Eichel, Larkin, Tage Thompson, like the options Mm -hmm. are are very exciting to say nothing about an older guy like a Joe Pavelski, who I think could quite conceivably still be on this team in 2026, although maybe kind of an outer limit type case. Did you did you mention Matthews, too? I think I said Matthews, but if okay. I did not, it, he certainly yeah. Like Larkin, that. Larkin would have to move to wing, I think. Yeah, I think team. that's definitely like, at least a possibility. Yeah, yeah, they they could have twelve centers and and be a pretty dominant team, right? You know? Which is sort of what we've seen from Canada at most of yeah. like at the true best on best men's events is they have really good centers mm-hmm. playing on the wing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. Uh, on the subject of potentially cutting really talented players. I'm curious what you see Alex Dabrinkit's odds at cracking this lineup are. I think you could see one scenario in which if he and Larkin play together consistently Mm -hmm. from now until then and play really well, you'd be like, okay, well, let's just grab that pair since we know it works. Um, And he's obviously a really gifted scorer. We just talked about him kind of lighting it up at the all-star game, but also you can see a scenario when the fact that he's a winger and the fact that he's not going to be a PK guy, realistically, he Mm -hmm. maybe gets left off. So where do you kind of fall on that? Yeah. I, 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 when I wrote about the the projections, I said his versatility is going to have to show up. Like versatility Mm -hmm. is what would get him on this roster because when there are limited spots and you, you, you know, special teams matter so much. Um, he's going to have to show that he's either really dominant on the power play again, or he can kill penalties and and do that. And I don't think Detroit is going to give him an opportunity to kill those penalties because they have other guys to do that. And you don't Mm -hmm. want one of your most elite scorers uh, getting bashed around and blocking shots and things like that. You want to preserve him and and his sort of uh, intensity for, for more offensive minutes. That being said, uh, if he can reheat on the power play, not, not reheat like a microwave, but you know, get, Get, get back to his uh, his form from earlier in the season and, and not be so streaky on it. I think if he can be more of a uh, effective player on the power play, he might be able to carve a little bit of a niche as, as sort of a 
kind of special teams guy because it matters so much in international play. Uh, when when a lot of teams are really similar on five on five, you, you want to execute on the opportunities you're given to sort of take advantage and and, and have a power play. Uh, if he can step into more of a power play scoring role, I feel like that could get him on. Uh, and I, I do like your idea that he has some chemistry with Larkin and maybe can can negotiate through that. Um, it, it'll be interesting to see how Bill Guerin builds this roster because he hasn't been involved in a USA hockey uh, sort of operation since the the 2017 men's worlds uh, mm. when he was an assistant GM. So like his philosophy is pretty, I don't want to say unknown because obviously there's the data points of the Minnesota wild and how he builds a team there. But as far as like sort of having a, <laughs> a shopping spree of sorts with players, it'll be interesting to see how he uh, puts together the pieces for this team. And he, he addressed wanting to have role players. He addressed wanting to have uh, guys who are abrasive on the wing centers who are, are really skilled and, and how many options they have there. Uh, so I don't know if how to bring it uh, kind of fits that mold and would fit into that. Scheme. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's a fair assessment. And Patrick Kane is another kind of interesting case. He's obviously, if you look at kind of historically who he's been, arguably the best American player ever. But I think if we were having this conversation at this time last year, you'd say, well, there's probably almost no chance he's playing on the 26 Olympic team. But then with the way he's picked it back up uh, this season, uh, you maybe can at least envision a scenario in which he plays his way back into contention for that, if not onto the roster. Yeah, I, I I predict more of an advisory role. I, I think hmm. he'll be there no matter what. I, I don't think you leave him at home. Uh, he'll, I think he could be on as sort of a, you know, assistant to the GM type of role at the very least where he's involved in the selection process. He knows everyone in the league. He's been around so long. If it, He's also just a, a brilliant hockey mind when, when it comes to how he plays um, and, and, and sees the game. So if you're able to sort of draw from him, even if he can't play, if you're able to draw some of those uh, observations from him and help build a roster through his perspective. Um, I do think he'll be able to offer a lot there. Uh, and also just for, for what he's done for USA hockey, I think it's really hard not to reward him with some sort of involvement, uh, especially if they're able to win a medal. It would, it would feel kind of criminal to, to leave him out of that. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think those are all fair considerations. I, I hadn't necessarily thought about him as some sort of like, I guess not even player coach, but like coach GM assistant type of yeah. role that and I don't know. I, could I did, work out. Yeah. I, I think this point in his career though, like he's gonna be 37. He's he's already yeah. banged up and and at this point with his surgery and uh how players kind of not to say regress, but they just age from from his age on. It's really hard to to play from 35 to 40 and and if you're Yarmir Yager to play even deeper. Um <laughs> and Gordy Howe, but it's really hard to, to keep doing it and, and the body wears down and he's played so much and played so well and, and been beat on and throughout his career that I, I just don't know how much we can bet on him making it to that point and still being an elite player, still being among the best. Um, I, I'm, he might still be in the NHL. I'm sure he's going to sign a contract this offseason the way he's played. Um, but if, you know, if he can't make that team, I just think the next progression for him would be be getting some experience in more of a front office role because um, he strikes me as a guy who's not going to just leave hockey once he's done. Um, mm -hmm. I don't think he's going to go retire into the woods and ice fish all day. Like I think he's still going to be in the rank. He's still going to be involved. Um, and I think it could be an opportunity for him to get some of that experience in a front office role, even if he's still playing in the NHL um, to jumpstart that by being an advisor. 
Not yeah. to be like his career advisor <laughs> if he's listening to this. You know, you you got 20 years of experience on me. So, uh, you know, trust your gut. But or 15, 17. Wow. I can't do the math today. That's why I'm a history major. But uh, <laughs> either way, uh, I, I just think he'll be involved. Yeah, I also feel like ice fishing's not the smartest hobby to get into right now. What with global warming and all, like, how long is the season really going to be on that? Realistically, I mean, he's from Buffalo, man. He's from Buffalo, New York. I think he'll be fine. He's yeah. from Hoth. I mean, there's a window there. <laughs> okay, I do like that. There's a window <laughs> there, but I mean, that's not a year-round activity, and I, I feel like the season's only going to get shorter and shorter. All right. Well, he can fish on on non ice. Okay. Know, man. Well, I, I think that be would be there. more promising for him. I do. See, All right. See, but this is why he's got to go into a front office role. <laughs> You're proving my point. Okay. Maybe I did. Maybe I did. <laughs> we will leave it there for now uh, and come right back after a quick break with some more talk about what to expect from the Red Wings coming out of the All Star break. All right. So before we wrap up here, we'll get into a little bit of what to expect from the kind of return to play here after a 10 day layoff for the Red Wings. Um, obviously, starting hot with uh, taking on a Vancouver team that is not only the best team in the Pacific Division by record, but also uh, a team that's played two games after its break. Well, the Red Wings haven't had a chance to do that yet. Um, but I think this is pretty undeniably a pivotal stretch of the schedule here running into what's a little bit later of a trade deadline than usual. Um, I think internally it seems as though there's still a little bit of reluctance on the Red Wings part to like fully embrace, Hey, we're in a playoff race here. Um, Derek Lalonde used the phrase earlier this week. We're battling to be in the battle, which I really liked as, you know, a reminder of, of kind of what the steps toward progress have looked like here. Um, but yeah, Connor, what, where are you at as far as your feelings around this potential playoff race shaping up here as we get back after a, a little time away with the All-Star break? Yeah, I, I, I like that phrase too, battling to be in the battle, because I think that's where the wings have been the past couple of years. And it's it's been a quite, you know, question of when the bottom falls out and, and, and when they start losing those games and, and have a slump. Obviously, they had the, the little slump in December and it seemed like, all right, this team's probably not making the playoffs. And then all of a sudden, January was insane for them uh I, I don't know what they had going to to have such good luck in in january um i, I saw there was some stuff about them being able to practice more mm-hmm. um that i think you wrote about sean shapiro wrote about uh shout out but uh i i, I do think like they need to be cautious at the trade deadline because i think this team's going to be so good in the future with the draft picks that are going to be coming in uh guys like edvinson while uh willinder i think that's how you say mm-hmm. right uh, and then Kosa, Nightingale, or not Nightingale, Augustine, <laughs> Nightingale is the coach, uh, Trey Augustine and, and, and some other guys, uh, Axel Sandin Pelica, I neglected to mention, like, there's a lot of really, really good players who are going to be coming into this program soon. So as much as the temptation might be to move assets, to pick up some, some really big players and, and maybe beef up this roster at the deadline, I think they should be cautious because they don't know if they're going to be able to get things gelling. They're already deep at forward. They already have enough uh, you know, NHL level defenseman. Uh, the goaltending is a concern, and I know we're going to talk about that soon. But uh, I, I really think they just got to be cautious and and keep the long term success of this program and and how they can sort of compete down the line. Uh, they need to keep that in in check versus like just selling to to make one push and maybe lose in the second round. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. We're almost exactly a month to the trade from the trade deadline right now, mm-hmm. um, and. 
when you think about what can happen in that month, like could the floor totally fall out on this? Sure, it's at least possible, but given how congested the standings are right now, it's sort of hard to picture a scenario in which Detroit falls out of it enough for it to make sense to really sell off pieces like Shane Gostas Bear, or who knows, maybe even a Patrick Kane deal could be in the cards if the bottom really falls out. But with the caveat that it's certainly easier to fall down the standings than it is to climb them because of how good a lot of the teams in the Atlantic are and and in the East overall, it it's still hard for me to picture a scenario in which things go poorly enough over this next month or so that you come out of that saying, yeah, it's time to sell. So then, like mm-hmm. you said, I think buying is a tricky thing. It feels as though basically every fan base has been conditioned at this point to say, like, yeah, we want to buy, but we only want long-term pieces. And that's all well and good. But of course, everybody wants that, right? And and those come at a premium, especially at the deadline, when you're talking about, like, hey, this could be the guy who pushes us over the top in, in our playoff race. So that feels easier said than done, especially in a year that's especially thin as far as the really premium options that are available. And we've already seen two of the best off the board in Elias Lindholm uh, getting sent to Vancouver and then uh, Sean Monaghan uh, heading out to Winnipeg. So um, it, it doesn't feel as though there are a ton of options. And to me, the thing that kind of makes the most sense for Detroit is is mostly staying pat with potentially making mm-hmm. some moves around the margins. Like there's a world where I could see adding another, and I think we talked about this last show, there's a world where I could see it making sense to add another defenseman. But if you aren't sending a current NHL defenseman out to get that done, it doesn't really make a lot of sense to me to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, we've talked before about uh, Jonathan Berggren as a potential trade chip. Uh, with him being in rumors and us both expressing our sort of affinity for him. Uh, to me, the maybe bigger problem with that is how much is Berggren really going to get you at this mm-hmm. deadline? And I would think the answer to that is not a ton, because I think when you look around the NHL, a lot of teams have a guy who's scoring really well just outside the NHL and mm-hmm. maybe isn't quite yet ready to be a full-time NHL player on a contending type team. Like, that's not something that I think is really in short supply. You see one of those on almost every roster. To go back to that Lindholm trade, you look at like an Andre Kuzmenko feels like he yeah. was in a very similar position. And yeah, he worked as a f- kind of fill-in in that trade and like flesh out the package, but it's not as though you're building a trade package around a guy like that right now. So right. Um, it I don't know. It, it's a tricky spot, and I don't think there's an obvious answer as far as what the precise move should be uh but i know you're at least intrigued by the possibility of making a move for a goaltender so and i know you wrote about that this week as yeah. well at thn.com <laughs> slash detroit so connor yeah. what can you tell me about the Shit. kind of options available in net and whether you feel as though that makes sense yeah. and what the role of potential traded for goaltender would be kind yeah. of coming into in detroit yeah you know it's not shameless self-promotion if i'm not promoting it right yeah exactly um, no, I okay. So I the way I broke it down is I just thought through the whole concept of of moving for a goalie, because um, I figured it's it's an interesting enough topic that I think going step by step of like who would you pick up, where would you pick someone up, do you need to pick someone up? I thought that was the most apt way to to talk about it, and it really settles down to like Jacob Markstrom, uh, Jeremy Swayman, and Elvis Merzlikens that are like on the table, and in the case of Markstrom everyone's going to want him because he's a proven starter. Um, and as much as his deal is a little bit expensive, I, I believe it expires in a couple of seasons at, at most. Um, and, and he's proven that he can win in the, in the playoffs um, here and there. So I, I think he's a guy that 
is going to fetch quite a sum from a lot of contending teams because not everyone has a, a really good goalie right now. Uh, <laughs> elite goaltending, you know, as it were, is a bit of a premium right now. It's it's not like during the 2010s when it seemed like every team had their kind of bona fide starter and then a backup that was just trying to break into the league. Like a lot of teams are, are dealing with sort of a double backup kind of tandem situation uh, and not getting much out of it. I think of New Jersey, I think of Carolina, um, you know, even Edmonton has had its struggles and then just ripped off a huge win streak when it kind of started to defend. We can talk about that at another time. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I just think like Markstrom, it doesn't make sense because they'd have to give up so many options uh, or assets rather. Uh, and then if you look at a guy like Swayman, he's going to fetch a pretty penny too, because Boston doesn't really have a need to move him. Uh, they, they just absolutely destroyed Vancouver last night for nothing for one, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I, it was for nothing. For nothing, yeah, and 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 that's a team that's you know equivalent to them in in sort of standing and, and stature. Um, so seeing that, like Boston doesn't really need to make a move; they're not being pushed to do so, right? So maybe they keep Swayman, and I know he's an uh, expiring RFA with arbitration rights. He did not like the arbitration process last year, so maybe he wants to move. Um, but it's going to fetch a pretty penny, and Boston's going to want to get. Uh, so some folks to help them go on a playoff run, considering how talented that roster is and, and how successful they've been, uh, they're going to want to flesh it out. So they're going to have to move pretty big assets to get Swayman. So if that makes sense and maybe he sticks around longer, I think he's like 26 or 27. Uh, maybe he's got a little more longevity and and, and can be a, a goaltender between the, the what seems to be Kosa's net long term here. Uh, maybe he's the option. But then you could also invest in a guy who's maybe struggling like Elvis Merzlikens, and he's struggled for the past two seasons now uh, since since he was a starter uh, and, and sort of had a decline. Uh, maybe you invest in a goalie like him and, and, and try to sort of activate something out of him that maybe a fresh environment motivates him more or is a, a, a chance to reset and, and, and really seek a, a more dominant form. Uh, I think those are the, the three options, and each one kind of doesn't make sense when you already have a goaltender who's performing like Alex Lyon is. And I know it, it's sort of a waiting game to see like if he's going to be inconsistent, if he's going to have struggles because he's never played this many minutes and he's never been this sort of starting goalie. He's always been that third, third stringer. Um, but it's his net and he's done well with it. Um, I just don't see sort of the the risk versus reward, right? I don't think the reward's big enough to to warrant a huge move for a goaltender. And now that I say that, they're going to trade for someone because that's how that goes. Uh, but just, just, sort of discussing that. Um, I, I really think that the option is just to stick with Lyon. He's been good. Um, his advanced stats are, are, are really good. Um, his goal saved above expected above expected and such. Medium danger chances he struggles a little bit with, um, but that might be a symptom of defense in front of him as much as it is with him. Uh, so we'll, we'll see. I, I think they should stick with him. Yeah, uh, it's interesting to hear you kind of lay it out like that. And like you said, with all three of those options, I feel like they're somewhat clear red flags, whether it's on the Red Mm -hmm. Wings end or on the end of the team that's trading them. Like, to me, as much as we just talked about, like, hey, in best case scenario, you're not trading for a rental, you're trading for a long-term piece. I actually feel like with Markstrom, it might sort of be the opposite of that, of having uh, being attached to a a different goaltender long-term to me, maybe is a little riskier than it is beneficial. And then with Swayman, like 
do the Bruins want to move him at all? And as much as we're kind of, it feels like moving past the idea of like, hey, you don't want to trade guys in division. Does it really make sense for Boston to trade Swayman to a team that feels like it's a goaltender away from being in sure. playoff contention in its own division or mm-hmm. in its own conference even? Like, because he would be a guy who I think you look at like Toronto, Carolina, um, the a sort of obvious fit there, but mm-hmm. why would the Bruins want, or New Jersey too, why would the Bruins want to kind of throw out that life raft to teams that are struggling in that regard? Yeah. And then with Merz Lincolns, it frankly kind of comes down to like, well, there's a reason he's sort of fallen out of favor in Columbus and it's because he's not mm-hmm. played all that well. And of course the context of that team has really, really struggled for years now, but um, it, it's not a name that to me is especially exciting to kind of part assets with, especially when, mm-hmm. like we've said all along, it feels as a lion is comfortably in the driver's seat as, as the first option. So to me, betting on the security of like Huso bouncing back to at least kind of capable backup level feels like a very, a, a more reasonable bet, I guess, than trying to go bring something else in. Yeah. And I didn't go into this in the article because I was already covering enough ground, but there's also the option to bring up Sebastian Cosa. He's been really good in Grand Rapids lately. Um, and I know obviously the difference between an AHL uh, offense and the ch- shots he's going to face and the NHL is really, really different. And there are really good AHL goalies that absolutely struggle when it comes to the NHL. But maybe if the, the going gets tough, maybe they call him up and give him a shot. Um, who knows? I, obviously, he's had a, a, a different development path going from WHL to being the starter in the ECHL last year for a pretty deep playoff run by the uh, Toledo Walleye. Maybe he gets his shot with, I almost said Mutton's there. Uh, maybe he gets his <laughs> shot with the Red Wings, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe they, they try him out. There's, there's really a lot of options that Iserman can explore. Um, and it, it's going to come down to which one he feels most comfortable with. And right now, based on the lack of moving for a goaltender to this point, I, I think he's of the belief that Alex Lyon's going to keep this up uh, or at least play well enough for, for the Red Wings to, sort of compete and contend uh, mm-hmm. and, and Lions won in the playoffs too. He won with Florida uh, mm-hmm. when they were in the first round last year. And, and obviously Bobrowski retook that net by the, the time they were in the cup uh, or competing for the cup. But uh, I, I do think Lyon has the, the capability to uh, play to that level. So unless they're going to make a big splash and pick someone up, that's going to be elite for a little bit, like, like you're mentioning, just moving that many assets. Um, it just seems like a big red flag. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it will spend more time thinking about the trade deadline as it keeps approaching. And again, the fact that it's coming later in the schedule than it normally does, I think is also an interesting wrinkle and sort of an argument towards standing pat, just because you're going to have less runway to kind of onboard these guys than you normally would, assuming if you're making a deal all the way up until that deadline, which is in, uh, I want to say it's like March 8th, which is a a fair bit later than it's traditionally been in that kind of late February window. Yeah, about a week. Uh, Yeah. So I don't know, maybe I'm reading too much into that, but still just uh, it feels as though every year we see guys traded who fit in right away and it goes really smoothly. And every year we see guys traded and they never seem to quite click with the new team. So, you know, how much benefit is there really to that if you're a team that already is kind of on the fence as far as uh, what it's the the ceiling of its aspirations are for this season, I suppose. Um, On a 
not entirely related note, I uh, wanted to pivot to talking a little bit about our expectations for Patrick Kane, whom we talked about uh, in our first half there in relation to Team USA. He obviously back to full health after missing about half a month there over the back half of January with a lower body injury that we've repeatedly been told was not a hip injury, though. <laughs> Who's to say what exactly Don't call it a hip it was? Injury. Yeah. Um, Kane ended up, I think, playing to just under a point of game pace um, in his kind of first run of about a month with the Red Wings. Uh, I believe it was 16 points in, in 19 games. Uh, so I'm curious, what do you think the Red Wings will be getting when he's back out there? Um, and and how does he fit into all of this as far as playoff pushes and whatnot? Yeah, I, I think more than just him sort of playing to a high level and being a point getter, <clears throat> I think he's going to bring a lot out of Alex Dabrinkit when he's struggled recently. Dabrinkit, I, I believe, has gone on a few slumps uh, recently, and even when Kane was playing with him, he, he struggled at times. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and I, I think the chemistry that those two have going back to Chicago showed up almost immediately with Detroit, right? It, 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 on the power play, when, when they were in even strength in the same line, the way they can complement each other and they understand where they're going to play and how they're going to play is such an advantage for Detroit. Um, and, and when they have that, Debrinkit can play a little bit freer and, and most importantly, score. Uh, so I do think it'll bring something out of Debrinkit to have Kane back. Uh, that being said, the wings have been clicking without him. Uh, and so it'll be interesting to see how they sort of reintegrate him to the lineup. And maybe the all-star break being when he comes back, maybe that's a good thing because mm-hmm. then he can sort of reacclimate and everyone's on the same page. Uh, and it's not like he's joining a, a, a team that's in the thick of it, right? He's not joining mid-battle. He's he's starting out again for, you know, if you call it like a second season or second half, or it's not really a half because it's 30 games, but you get my drift. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, there, there's a bit of runway here for him to take off with everyone else. And it's not like he's parachuting in. Uh, so I, I, I think he can, I, I don't want to say he struggled in the first half to, to join the team. Cause obviously the points were there, but he played a little bit differently than, than the wings were um, when it came to how he was generating offense, how he played. And uh, I, I, I don't know if that'll happen as much with him coming back after the all-star break. Um, but I, I obviously can't like rule it out, but I do think it's, a more beneficial situation for him to rejoin now than if he was to join in the middle of the street. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, that was actually something that Derek Lalonde got asked about is like, how, is that if he were to have been reintegrated prior to the break, like, was there something a little kind of a reservation along the lines of like, Hey, things are going really well, really smoothly. Like, do we not want to kind of throw a wrench in that right now? And Lalonde was very emphatic and being like, no, 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 no. That's not how we're thinking about Kane. Like the second he's hundred percent, we're going to get him back. And he even went as far as to say, they were really impressed by some of the work that he'd done defensively, even which obviously he's not going to be like a checking line player at any point. And that's not what you want him on the ice to do. But I think the underlying numbers definitely bear out that he was far from like a defensive black hole as, as he kind of got his legs under him with the Red Wings in that 19 game stint or whatever it was, which I think if he were you maybe wouldn't have been entirely surprised by that since that's kind of he's been something along those lines throughout his career and and so to be coming back from a major injury if the defense weren't really there I think you could kind of excuse that and expect it to maybe get a little better but instead I I think that was reasonably well in place the other thing that I think is interesting is uh, you know, we go back and forth all day about how much playoff experience really matters, right? And you see experienced guys make big mistakes in playoff games all the time, and guys who've never been in a postseason series before make the biggest play of a game or the biggest play of a series. But still, I think the as much as we talk about this Red Wing team as a veteran one, and there's certainly guys with 
big time playoff experience. JT Comfer, David Perron, um, Jeff Petrie, having made that cup run with the Canadians in the bubble a couple of years ago. It's not necessarily a locker room with a ton of guys who've played a lot of playoff games. And so mm-hmm. having Kane as a three-time cup champion uh, who who's certainly been around the block and and knows what it takes to perform in the postseason about as well as anybody in, in the 21st century, I, I think that certainly can't hurt, right? As you talk about mm-hmm. kind of, and that was another thing Lalonde mentioned before the break was that he felt like he was seeing Kane kind of take more ownership. I want to say was the phrase he used as like a leader within the locker room and kind of become a more vocal guy in the room on the bench, that sort of thing. So potentially that's another benefit here of, of getting him back fully in the lineup. But yeah, um, I'm, I don't know. I'm not necessarily expecting the points to come quite as easily as they did in that first little stint, but who knows? Maybe they will, and maybe they'll even pick up further. I have a feeling that's how he perceives that start. It's like, yeah, that was pretty good, but I've still got another level to get back to with some more continuity. Yeah, and when you're, I don't, when you join a team and and people don't have film on you, I think that also like can play into it because teams aren't really preparing for for how he's going to play. Um, obviously, there's a bunch of film on how Patrick Kane plays that every highlight reel, every kid has watched since they've been growing up. Uh, but but just as far as like how he was going to play coming out of the injury, I don't think people really knew. But there's sort of a a resume of sorts that he's shown how he's going to play post injury, post surgery. He's shown how he's going to play with the Red Wings and kind of integrate into that team. And so film like teams also kind of see what he's going to do. They know what he's going to do with DeBrinket. They know they're going to play together most likely. Um, so they can prepare a little bit better. So yeah, the points may not come as easily because teams can prepare. Um, but we'll 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 see. I don't know. I, I still think he can playing with Debrinket, I think he can score um quite a bit because obviously he's gonna have the minutes to do so and and get those opportunities. Yeah, it's interesting you bring up the kind of change in style before and after the injury. I feel like without any kind of hard evidence to support this, I you think of him as this guy who is so shifty, so elusive that he kind of never really gets hit. And I feel like we have actually seen in that kind of cameo we got from mid-December to mid-January that he did take a few hits, including the one yeah. that sort of shook him up in Toronto. Yeah. And I, I have a hard time knowing if it's like I'm paying more attention to it and watching him every night in a way that I wasn't in, you know, the Patrick Kane of old necessarily, and mm-hmm. and therefore kind of reading too much into something that in fact has always been a part of his game. But I don't know. I, I wonder if there's at least some... It, it would seem kind of unreasonable if there weren't some element of that dynamism that had kind of faded with age, like we've been saying. I mean, again, 35 yeah. years old. I, I think speed, too, may factor into that as well. Like, he's not as fast as he used to be. Um, that's just a given. Like, mm-hmm. his player's age. Larkin's not as fast as he used to be when when he was a rookie. Um, that, that That's what happens when you play in the league and, and wear down and obviously, like, change your style and whatnot. But that may lead to him getting hit more, but... Um, his ability to absorb him, I think, is is going to be the key. Um, because mm-hmm. like the the Holmberg double hit on the same shift, like that put him out. Um, he hit twice in that shift. Like that's going to happen. People are going to key on him. People are going to hit him and and not give him quarter. Um, so he's going to have to to make the most of that and and, and get his room. Yeah, and you'd think that's only going to pick up as we get closer to the playoffs, right? And oh, yeah. If it ends up in the playoffs, yeah. um, that that then, is then even more hockey, so. Absolutely. Yeah, that like if you're. If you're a team playing the Red Wings, you're going to be like, oh, Kane's out there. I'm cross-checking that yeah. hip as many times as I can. <laughs> I'm not going to go that far, but. <laughs> well, I'm I'm not either. I, w- I was saying what someone playing him in the playoffs would say, you know, totally yeah, different you, than me. If you personally. were Pat Maroon. Yeah. Right. I mean, I would be, you know, a Lady Bing candidate out there. Graceful, uh-huh. gentlemanly, all that, you know. <laughs> 
<laughs> Sam Stockton stats, 17 ejections, 30 <laughs> elbows. No, 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 no. Very clean player. <laughs> um, Excellent. Yeah. Plus, like, can't skate well enough to catch up to anybody to throw those elbows. So, you know, that mm. sort of a deterrent. Mm-hmm. Um, One other thing, uh, I guess kind of our last uh, big Red Wing question for the day is picking up on a different thing that Kane said, actually, uh, when he first spoke with the media um, after uh, his injury stint there was he mentioned, like, he was asked something along the lines of, what did you see from this team as you were kind of watching from above, um, you know, while you weren't able to be in the lineup every night. And one of the things he mentioned was, this looks to me like a team that projects to be a tough out if and when they do get the chance to play in a playoff series. And he kind of cited the depth that's in this lineup um, as a reason to believe this would not be a super fun team for you know, a potential one or two seed in, in the East to have to play in the first round. So I think on some level, like, of course, you would say that about your own team, but I, I think there's also some merit to it as well. It's not, like, totally contrived or ridiculous. So, uh, Connor, I'm curious, what's your reaction to that? Do you see what he means as far as this being a potential I, tough team to wrestle with in a first-round matchup? Yeah, I do. Um, I, I think... The, the depth of the scoring matters um, because like we we talked the last podcast episode about, I I think Daniel Sprong and, and should he be moved up and should he get more uh, opportunities because of how well he scored. But like, if you look at it, if you have Sprong going and you have Larkin, Kane, Dabrinkit, Perron, Raymond, uh, JT Comfort, Andrew Kopp, like all those sort of scoring threats, like who are you keying on? You can't shadow anyone. Like you're gonna have to sort of play to a, a defensive identity and, and try to prevent some of those chances, um, but all those guys can score and in different ways too, uh, to where like they're not an easy team to match up against defensively, um, and it's not to say that the Red Wings are a team that's gonna score six goals a game because we've seen that they don't. That's not their style. They they sort of score their you know three or four um, and and then stick around that territory, um, and and when they score three or more, they usually win. From, from what we've seen, but uh, I, I do think like the way that they can attack in waves. And, and I talked about this when talking about Michigan state earlier today, um, like attacking in waves gives you such an advantage because teams can't key on you and they, they have to respect each and every line and they can't get a break. Uh, and when it comes to the playoffs, you can't give teams breaks. And I think they're going to benefit from that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, when I think about like what makes an opponent difficult to play over a seven-game series, I think on some level you can point to just like the kind of nasty dark art side of it, right? Is mm-hmm. playing against a team that's super physical, super chippy is has a grading effect over the course of a seven-game series, and I'm not sure that's exactly the the box the Red Wings are going to check here. But then I also think about like playoff hockey depth and matchups become even more important than they are over the course of the regular season. And I think those are two areas where you can legitimately say the Red Wings can cause problems for people. If So interestingly, coming out of the break, we've seen it practice these last two days, uh, the same Debrinket larkin raymond line that closed the break. And so Kane playing on the second line with Comfer and Perron. I would be somewhat inclined to think that by the time the playoffs roll around, we're more likely to see a second line with Debrinket and Kane, and then that kind of 200-foot throw them out there anytime, any matchup with Larkin. And then you complement that with the third line that we've talked about sort of glowingly throughout the month of January with Cop, uh, Fisher, and Rasmussen. Like, okay, there's there's definitely something there. And then a fourth line with 
Beleno speed, Costin's physicality, or, you know, some combination of Fabry and Spronk scoring ability, you know, that's, that can cause a issue for people. And I think there's, there's a legitimate quality of depth there. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, the, the Canucks and the Red Wings are the only two teams who have 10 or more 10 plus goal scorers this year. Hmm. So that, you know, sort of testament to the fact that even, and you, again, we've talked before about the idea of the Kraken last year as a kind of model in some cases directly for the success that the Red Wings have wanted to have this year. That was a team that I don't think a lot of people picked them to beat Colorado last year because of the top end talent that Colorado had. I see Connor taking a victory lap on. He evidently did have that in this bracket. I didn't see that bracket, so I can't vouch for that. It's on Twitter. Okay, we'll go back in the archives. There. It wasn't the Western Michigan one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah, yeah. Connor's also known for throwing out facetious brackets, so I don't know if that can even really be trusted. <laughs> but yeah, that that was a a Kraken team that I think a lot of people just, without even really thinking about it, look, thought about the star power that Colorado had and said, "Yeah, Colorado's through pretty easily." And instead, you saw that depth come through. So, could the Red Wings sting one of these more? cup contending ish level teams in the east because realistically i think if you we are going to talk about the red wings getting into the playoffs it's not going to be as a one or a two seed it's probably going to be maybe in that third slot or probably even more realistically as one of the two wild cards so it will be an uphill battle it will be a series where you have to go into it kind of ready to absorb pressure ready to take on difficult matchups and not necessarily just like dictate play for 60 minutes and seven straight games but instead yeah you know punch above your weight a little bit. And I think there's reason to believe that this team could do that. Uh, obviously, that's not an assurance of anything. And part of it is just like the chaotic nature of hockey. I don't think there's any such thing really as a slam dunk in a seven-game series um, amongst these playoff teams. But yeah, it it feels at least reachable. Yeah, I agree. Cool. All right. Um, sort of petered out there at the end, but what do you... <laughs> I I was losing steam on on my justifications there. All right. Um, It it works. I don't know. Yeah, I I think you're right. It's just the the matchups and and, and the way that, like, maybe they don't have the star power, but they're just able to get it throughout the lineup. Yeah, I think that's that's an Mm -hmm. advantage. Cool. Um, It is obviously a big weekend for college hockey in the state of Michigan with the second uh, two-game set between Michigan and Michigan State, punctuated by the duel in the D. At 8.30 Saturday night at Little Caesars Arena, kind of like the Super Bowl for this podcast, I would really say, like <laughs> down in Detroit, Michigan, Michigan State, college hockey that I don't know. I, th- I think that really is our Super Bowl. But uh, we are going to kind of swerve that for now um, and we'll get back with a full duel in the D debrief at this time next week. Uh, before we wrap, I do want to give a shout out to Western Michigan for a big 7-2 win over Denver last weekend. They did split that series, but that was a statement victory. And that's a Western yes. team we've we've expressed respect for all season long. And they're currently yeah. one spot ahead of Michigan in the pairwise at 11. Yeah. So, hey, Denver. shout out to the Broncos. Denver doesn't have a goalie and Western Michigan reminded everybody of that. Fact. Yes. <laughs> yes. And I called it a statement victory. The statement was very much. <laughs> the <A>. statement was <laughs> that you could put a, a Paris, like slice of Swiss cheese in net and it'd probably stop more shots than, than your goalies. But mm. that's not a, a knock on anyone in, in Denver. Well, um, it's a little really... bit of a knock on their goal. <laughs> well, no, no, no. It, it, mm, yeah. Okay. Let's be fair. It was a bit of a knock. But it's not like a personal knock. It's more so like collectively, yeah, find a way to stop pucks because that's the only thing holding that team back from being a genuine frozen four contender. 
Yeah, it's interesting. The the pairwise is a lot higher on them than the NCHC standings are right now, which I think is yeah. like fairly dug in for the time being on, on both of those cases. Like it's yeah. hard to take a big jump at this point in the season in, in either of those regards. But yeah, um, pioneers. I don't know. I I don't really see it happening for them this year. Wow. Well. <laughs> All right. Cool. On that note, Connor, unless you got anything else for us. We will leave it there for this week. Thank you very much for listening. Be sure to check out both of our work at THN.com slash Detroit. Maybe Connor will be making some cameos on the NCAA site. You can still see his weekly columns on Mondays in the Michigan Daily. He had a nice, thoughtful Juwan Howard piece this week that kind of took that conversation in a direction. I don't think a lot of people were necessarily taking it, which was a fun read. Um, yeah. GulaGulaHockey.substack.com had a newsletter come out today. We'll hopefully have another one or two next week as well. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll be back next week.